0: This week on Trek Mary Kill. Bajorans, legends, Langella. Next. A dangerous mission.
1: I can't loan you a Starfleet runabout without knowing where you plan on taking it. To Cardassia 4 to rescue a Bajoran prisoner of war. <laughs> If we don't leave now, Major, we never will. To rescue a reluctant hero. They still need you. But I am not the man that they think I am. Exposes a secret society. They call themselves the Circle. That threatens to destroy the Alliance next
0: time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Trek, Mary, kill.
1: Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek Mary Kill, the only Star Trek podcast that's more than willing to kill an unarmed Cardassian in his underwear. <laughs> this week we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the very first three-part episode in Star Trek history, which happened on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's Deep Space Nine's part one episode, The Homecoming, which was their season two premiere 30 years ago. I'm, I'm feeling yeah. some kind of way about this, to be perfectly honest.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I wasn't even born yet. What that's am I right, saying? That's right. <laughs> Before I was I was born, not even then. a
1: teenager yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Debut syndication, September 26, 1993. Teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear. Story by Jerry Taylor and Iris Stephen Bear. Directed by Vinric Kolb. I learned how to pronounce his name because I was watching some Kate Mulgrew stuff, and she dated him for a while, and she made sure that everyone knew how to pronounce his name correctly. But, <gasps> so It's it's the least one could do.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right when you're dating someone. Uh,
1: so yeah, you were you weren't even born yet, and I was twelve, mm-hmm. and I think uh-huh. I said this before when we did emissary, um, that this you know deep space nine felt like my star trek because it was the one that i started watching when it started like next generation uh, you know i was born already but i didn't really come to it until season three season four so it was uh so it was kind of like catching up and it feels like star Trek a lot of star trek had happened already and i was just yeah. joining the party this felt like a whole new thing uh and deep space nine very much like was its own thing it was a stationary you know, it was a space station, didn't go anywhere I Had different mm-hmm. characters, characters who look like people that were around, not the Ferengi or the Bajorans, but, you know, like different shades of human beings, you know, uh, women doing operational engineering roles, as opposed to just being like caretaker types. So there's like a lot of different uh, dimensions that Deep Space Nine added that felt very much more relevant to me, even as a kid. So I've always felt uh, very much, um, Tied to Deep Space Nine, like it's been a part of my life. All that said, this episode was definitely not made for a 12 year old's brain. Oh,
0: no, no. (laughs) So I, there's there's some nuance going on here. Yeah.
1: Memory Alpha describes this episode as Kira rescues a Bajoran resistance hero named Lee Nollis from a Cardassian labor camp. An extremist group named The Circle calls for all non-Bajorans to leave Bajor. So it's basically saying, because this is part one, it's just saying this first episode sets up these storylines. Uh, an old resistance hero is rescued, but there's also this uh, undercurrent of, of um, a, a strain of nationalism also going on.
0: Well, I, I I might save this for most of its time quality, but it, there's definitely like an IRA um it's very IRA coded, let's say.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of unavoidable anytime you're dealing with the Bajoran resistance and terrorism, right? That's they're they're really drawing on the people writing the show. They're really drawing on that for the most part to inform some of their stuff. And I'm sure Palestine and, and Israel like they're, that's also in there as well, very much. But so I always give Kristen notes a rundown, which is sometimes a script, but it's also notes and I'm too lazy to like create two documents. So I'm like, this is what I'm going to be talking about. And it it looks again, like um, uh, an unwell person has written them, but I, sometimes I'll put a lot in there to just kind of get to my point. 1993, let us set the stage. Let's set the (laughs) moods because this was not pre-internet. The internet was around. It was sort of early internet and i guess what i mean by that is like uh, uh mainstream uh, you, you know people had it in their homes it was like an mm-hmm. early part of that there were,
0: yeah there was... i think we have the internet around this time
1: yeah so i don't think we had it quite in our house yet maybe it was still a couple more years away and then it would be like AOL was the gateway to that
0: mm-hmm. and now
1: you kind of have a lot you have like BBSs you know you're still it's all dial up but you have like Usenet and you have these you have these other systems, but not like sort of the big, big mainstream ones quite yet. You also have TV Guide, which was my lifeline yeah. to Star Trek. That was my internet. That's how I learned yeah. everything about Star Trek.
0: If you aren't, we <laughs> supposedly we have young
1: listeners. The demographics suggest, yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> this was a print magazine that showed up to your house every week. I mean, you had to subscribe. It wasn't free. And it told you what channel all your shows were on in your market and like what time they are but also had features like what's coming up on Star Trek what's this new hot love triangle on Melrose Place or whatever um and moms couldn't get enough of it I would say right <laughs> Would you... i don't
1: know because i was obsessed with them so
0: okay I it was obscured my mom
1: was not obsessed with
0: this. it was always in the checkout line yes and the size of it was what would you say about the size of like a small paperback novel
1: exactly yes yeah. and it
0: was so you could was... like flip through it very easily mm-hmm. and you kept it on your coffee table next to your remote control because you literally could not find out what channel anything was on unless you read it in the newspaper on sunday and, and then maybe
1: around do. yeah maybe around this time in the 90s or no it was earlier for sure they did have those channels on your cable system that would give you the the yeah. scrolling grid it would just be but a then channel you'd
0: have to wait you'd have to, to wait come for the, come the all channel way around again <laughs> That's right. if you missed what was on or you had so, to flip
1: yeah imagine like movie credits slowly scrolling mm-hmm. and it's just all the channels. Like right now you can if you if you pick up um, if you turn on your Pluto TV you'll see exactly what I'm talking about the, yeah. the grid that tells you the, the station or the channel and then what's going to be on but you, I think couldn't, has no, that you couldn't you couldn't right? Yeah, you couldn't scroll yeah. through it though. You could only mm-hmm. change it to that channel and then watch it and and wait. And then versus TV guide though it wouldn't tell you what it was about. So you'd, you'd see like a show called Shenanigans and you'd be like, what's that about? Well, it would have nothing.
0: the listing. And then if you looked behind, it would then say what it was. And if it was a rerun, and
1: it would have tell the, you the, yes. schno- the synopsis
0: sure. of the episode. So if you were like, oh, which one is this? Oh, I've already seen that one. Or like, oh, tonight's is a rerun. I don't have to ki- watch it.
1: Yeah. But so TV Guide, though, on top of the listings, it would have what Kristen was saying. It would have articles. And these articles were you know what entertainment weekly would do you know what vulture kind of does what av like it all exists currently yeah, all today. The a- like
0: the re- reviews like yeah. all the av club stuff i would have like television reviews for like new series um and like feature articles and interviews with the top television stars of the day
1: and so tv guide had a very strong star trek slant which is great for star trek fans uh, it would because pop up on the cover. <laughs> yes, yeah, it sold the exactly it sold the magazines, uh, and this is so I sent Kristen in the notes for this episode was that in the summer issue, July twenty fourth to thirtieth, nineteen ninety three, for eighty nine cents you could purchase TV Guide's Out of This World Summer Sci Fi issue, and on the cover, in a pink pastel patterned shirt, Armin Shimerman dressed as Quark. With sunglasses, that he's tilting down, going, "Hey, baby,"
0: <laughs> and I come hither, motion with his hands,
1: full, full teeth. He's got the the Ferengi mm-hmm. chompers in there, everything, and the the headline is trekking into the future. What's next for next generation Deep Space Nine? What's up with Star Trek Seven? William Shatner from Trek to Tech, because at the time he was writing a book series called Tech Wars, which had been transferred into a i believe a tv show uh and then there's some other stuff in there so um
0: and and the photo is very interesting because what they used to do i don't think they really do it as much anymore is this the studio the television studio or network would go on set and like have these guys in full costume at any show and like do uh press photos and so sometimes the tv guide cover would be a press photo that was taken for some other reason or sometimes they would arrange for the TV guide photographer to go to set or a studio somewhere and shoot the photo. So I'm not sure which one this is, by the way, I just looked it up. Do you want to guess what TV guides peak circulation was? I'm going to say 56 million, 19 million, but that is still huge. Yeah. Nineteen million million subscribers per week. That doesn't include people who just buy it off the newsstand. I think, but
1: right, which is what I would do, and only when it was Star Trek.
0: (laughs) Like that's probably more than the New York Times gets now. So,
1: (laughs) and of course, with the internet, it all it all went away. But why I'm bringing this up? I mean, besides the look, the armor and and is giving in this image, you need to find it. I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes. Uh, Armin Shimmerman being the unofficial mascot to Deep Space Nine might have been why Deep Space Nine never really took off but <laughs> charming all the same was I was trying to find what people had written about this episode specifically
0: mm.
1: 30 years ago and this is li- ties into everything I said about the Usenet and the earlier internet and there's this whole other avenue because we didn't have the internet in the home that that i didn't know that there was there was a famous star trek reviewer my favorite current working television reviewer today is alan seppenwall and he's probably yeah, the he's most famous television writer right now television reviewer probably right now um isn't like
0: matt Zoller sites isn't he didn't he doesn't he do tv too
1: well they he does but he i guess movies now he, yeah, I'm, that's a good point. I mean, Seppenwall is definitely probably one of the better known ones. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, Seppenwall and this guy were effectively were essentially contemporaries or getting started at roughly the same time. Except that this gentleman I'm about to reference here, Tim Lynch, was writing on the Usenet. Is very famous for the Star Trek crews, like the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, like next generation they may or may not have named ensign lynch after him in first contact the dude he kills because oh. he can't save the guard can't save him uh and then deep seas nine they actually liked his writing his reviews so much that they invited him in to come pitch some episodes so he was a famous writer and he and Seppinwall know each other and Seppenwall name checks him i think in a book or whatever so this so, Tim Lynch, this is a this is the scholarship for Deep Space Nine that was contemporaneous. I tried to find a Deep Space Nine, uh, like an LA Times review or anything like that. The LA Times review I found was for Emissary, and it was kind uh. of sexist and a little racist. And it was, okay. uh, uh, so I skipped that. But uh, for this one, I'm just going to read just his general thought real fast. Foomph. The sound you have just read is the sound of my enthusiasm for Trek reigniting. After two rather unspectacular shows opening up the TNG season and getting me down, I watched The Homecoming. What a story. This makes me feel very good about the upcoming season. One problem with episodic television, like Trek in all its forms, is that it's very difficult to do anything with much of an epic feel to it. TNG has tried a few times, but the most notable case has been the slow progression of events in the Klingon Empire. The collection of Sins of the Father, Reunion, both parts of Redemption, and Rightful heir* all serve to make up a part of a lengthy, broadly-themed story that isn't yet done. There are seams, of course, and weak spots, such as all of Redemption Part 2. It is, however, still the closest thing I can think of to *Trek* a Trek epic until now. The Homecoming picks right up with the ideas that have been bubbling beneath the surface in the best of deep space nine and which came out in full force in the last two shows of last season duet. And especially in the hands of the Prophets, which is the, which is the season finale. We have not only hints of major changes, but requirements of major changes because the status quo is going to lead Bajor to ruin. I very rarely get the feeling while watching Trek or much of anything, really that events are overtaking the quote plan for a story. But here I surely did. Almost every single scene had me rooted to the screen, trying to figure out the motives of some character or the consequences of some act. If the homecoming is in any way representative of what the season of Deep Space Nine will bring, I think we're in very good shape. I don't need you to have a reaction to that review. I just was like, that is definitely so an adult saying like, what an adult story being told.
0: This mm-hmm. week. <laughs>
1: Because the homecoming is, if nothing else, is a very adult story being told. Um, it's very much ignoring the idea that this is Star Trek. So it doesn't really have like a sci-fi idea in there on top of it, which usually you will have. And I think that is where Deep Space Nine really tried to set itself apart, where it's like, we're not going to worry about the sci-fi gimmick every week. And I think sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. I'm kind of in the middle on this one for now. But um, do you remember the first time you saw this episode, Kristen?
0: No, I don't. Okay. No memory Sorry. whatsoever.
1: <laughs> I remember the, the there's a scene uh, where Kira and O'Brien go to rescue this Lee Nullis guy from a prison camp and they're posing as a sex worker. And I <laughs> presume we pimp. Do we call pimp sex workers too? It seems no. like a bad thing. No, they're pimps. Okay. Uh, and so I remember that scene very clearly. And I actually do remember Frank Langella just being in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's when a recurring character.
1: Yeah. There he is. Uh mm-hmm. Tony Tony Award-winning, Oscar nominated uh Whoopi Goldberg partner, <laughs> Franklin Jill <Langella. laughs> There he is. He was just you that's how he was, the
0: Were they together then?
1: 95 to 2000. Okay, so is it was, so this is after bad. this is this is okay. pre-Eddie and then Eddie is the movie that got them together. Okay. <laughs> I do have some thoughts on Franklin Langella, but we won't quite get in that just yet. This episode is really kind of based on The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, a movie I have not seen.
0: I have seen it, so I can fill in some stuff if you need.
1: But basically, it's print the legend. That's the that's the thrust of that story. A, a man is uh, made famous by an event that everyone has mythologized, but it didn't happen even anywhere close to the way it actually happened. And this man is effectively an accidental hero that he's now mm-hmm. a famous person that he has to kind of live with it. So that's what's happening here. This resistance hero, Lee nalis he, he fell down a hill and he, he killed a Cardassian who was bathing in, uh, bathing yeah, in so, his underwear. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. there's a Cardassian bathing in his underwear and they came upon each other and he was startled and he realized he still had his phaser. And he so said, he shot the guy as the other guy was, um, leaning f- or getting his gun, but um, to me, that's still killing him. And <laughs> the man who shot Liberty Valance, it's actually the John Wayne character, I think, who shoots Liberty Valance instead of Jimmy Stewart. But Jimmy Stewart doesn't know that until some time, but he becomes the famous like Senator and also steals John Wayne's woman too I mean that's I think that's the nail in the coffin but so it's not quite the same the idea of stolen valor or whatever I guess yeah
1: yes that's but that's like a, a the broad idea and now that you've like given me the details now it, it pushes me off my secondary point here a little bit you know I think I criticize and maybe other people criticize when we watch current things and we see what the modern Filmmakers, TV shows, what they're referencing, because a lot of us have understand those references, and that's all Ira Bear has been doing his whole career. He's just referencing the movies that he saw growing up and the TV shows, the stories he watched. It's just that at the time that this stuff was coming uh, out, being made, that they were making it then, all the stuff wasn't available at a uh, the touch of a finger couldn't just dial up the criterion channel or, you know what I mean? Like you, it just was harder to like watch it. So you were left with the, what it imprinted on you, what you remembered about it. You know what I mean? Like that's what inspired your art. It feels like today, a lot of it is just like, let's just do that exact thing again, except instead of it being Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit, it's Michael Burnham you know what I mean? Like it's just, uh-huh. there, there's kind of a weird thing going on there, but I guess as I get older, this is kind of my larger point. It is funny now to understand more what Star Trek was referencing because growing up watching Star Trek, no, it, to me, Star Trek was it, that was the beginning and the end was not aware that it was referencing anything larger beyond that. Uh, and so learning all these things uh, has been quite a trip. I also just want to mention Ira bear because, uh, Obviously a big union guy. Uh, went to that Star Trek day The that happened on the picket lines uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago. How it, it was It was nice. Saw him. Saw a lot of Deep Space Nine people. Saw him. Saw Major Kira. Major character in this episode. Uh, or Colonel Kira by the end of the show. Nanav Visitor. Uh, also saw Esri Dax. Nicole DeBoer. And saw Rom. Max Grudenchik. Saw a lot of people there. Saw Jack Quaid um just uh, lavar burden was there at
0: george takei was there he's on the
1: other side of the street so i couldn't get to him or i didn't see him i wasn't trying to get to them i was doing the pickets but lavar burden was there and he was only there at least i saw him on my side of the street for just an instant and the the five feet radius around him just the the glow of life the sparkle Mm -hmm. Shine, and I was—I walked past him. I heard his voice. I was like, "That sounds like the barber." And I turn, and all I caught—he was wearing like a straw hat. He was smiling. the 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 beautiful, heavenly light coming <laughs> off of his smile was incredible. I'm like, "That's enough. I don't need to go anywhere near him yeah. again." I got it. I got the sunshine. I'm all good. uh So that was cool. Uh, Walter Koenig showed up at the end there.
0: I think Ethan Peck was on at New 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 York. York.
1: He was in New York. Yep, because I definitely was like, "Where's my boy?" uh, (laughs) Oh yeah, on the picket line. though. (laughs)
0: that's
1: right. That's because yeah, I was a little
0: upset that you didn't get to see our boy, but (laughs) that's okay. No,
1: just knowing he was doing it in New York, that was like, that's fine. That's fair enough. And Mm -hmm. uh, and besides, here's some other cool people. Uh, what is your general feeling about cliffhangers? Because this is uh, this. I
0: this love one. them if they're actually eventually resolved. Um, I don't love them when like there's a cliffhanger and then they the show gets canceled. <laughs> 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 don't like that. With the exception of the Hannibal cliffhanger, which if you can call it that, but. Well, there's no hanging. No. Never. Uh, the, I mean, the, I the. Seen it yet?
1: Well, they should see it. It's also yeah. like we're approaching what ten years.
0: I, I know my or, friend or Juan is now re- is watching the whole thing, and I'm like, when you get to the last episode, I think I'm gonna have to watch it with you.
1: <laughs> By I think I told you this. My season three feelings for Hannibal were like not good, up its own ass. But then you get to the finale, I'm like, that was amazing, and it was worth suffering through the whole season yeah. to I get mean, to that so- ending.
0: I made so many gifts from that episode. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, it was the best romance on TV for some time. <laughs> I'll say that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a cliffhanger really, for the most part, the best ones earn the cliffhanger moment. I, I There's a, also part of me that's like, if it's a surprise cliffhanger, like you're not expecting, you're like this story seems like it's going to end. But then there's sort of, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. The uh, Spider-Man movie that came out this best.
0: <laughs> I didn't see that. There's oh, absolutely I, no way I would have seen that. I I, seen
1: I'm it. so old that I was like, I knew it was coming out, but I didn't. And they're, I knew they were making a third one as well. But in my mind, it's like, well, they're just they're just budgeting them to make them back to back. That's fine. That makes sense. But I was, then watching the movie, I'm like, I'm enjoying this. And then it gets to the end. And it's a cliffhanger. And I'm like, what? Like in, the, in the theater, like, grip. Oh. The like, what?
0: <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. Uh, so, like, you sometimes- literally said that out loud yes. to everybody. And all
1: the it kids in- around
0: you were like, "What's this guy doing?" No, it
1: was late. It was later at night. There weren't that many kids there. Okay. Uh, it was also in a Dolby cinema. So it was so loud, no one could hear themselves talk. So it's like, hmm.
0: but- <laughs> yeah, that shit is so. Loud during Oppenheimer, third time we've mentioned it. Um, (laughs) I could not hear myself think I was having a hard time.
1: All right. Real that just reminds me. Anyone listening who cares and wants to go to movie theater, it sucks that you know you have to pay all these different ticket prices. What are you getting? For the most part, if you get an IMAX thing on at your theater, there's really only a few real IMAX quote unquotes, and the Mm -hmm. rest are kind of basically fake IMAX, which means even if it's shot for the IMAX format it's still being compressed and and cropped and it's not fitting the IMAX space. So there, it's kind of a bit of hokum, the Dolby cinemas, on the other hand, highly recommend those. Those are always, always great. Um, Kind of a little, a little bit of a shitty move by the theater chains are like, these are the projectors we're going to actually maintain and put good bulbs in. Mm -hmm. And like like, have an actual
0: union projectionist. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, but then the sound is so amazing and it. And I, I don't know, how snobby our listeners are, like how much of a cinephile they are. Sound makes so much of a difference for movies. It's kind of one of those things you're not really aware of until someone like gives you a situation where you would compare them at all. Like, but sound can really make a movie. And so in that sense, you're getting pristine as pristine a digital image as they can project, but you're also getting the very best possible sound going today. So usually those are the better values.
0: And my theater had the reclining seats. Oh, which was just uh, fantastic
1: as someone who never really thought about those. The fact that they have those in pretty much all the Dolby's I'm like, okay, well, this just makes it Uh, so comfortable. (laughs) So this episode really does reflect the state of Star Trek in the 1990s. I feel like I mean, I mentioned all the scholarship and all that stuff. It's it's kind of but to me, it's like a definitive example of 90s Trek. There's quite a lot of drama that happens, but it's all very specific character drama. The stakes are very big for them but it's also kind of chill it's not like action action punch punch this does have action in there but it also seems like it's more concerned with all the stuff uh, the other stuff around the action and a lot of it is sort of like (laughs) i don't what's a good way to explain this it's like if you're it's a abstract idea it's kind of high-minded ideas i guess the 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 gruntier way of saying this the dirtier way of saying this is like it's the project of liberal democracy <laughs> like in action okay. and like the 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 everything's concerned with dramatizing the political machinations of what's going on um i remember an interview ira bear said like the suits did not like when we went into bajoran religion they hated them <laughs> anytime uh-huh. we did bajoran religion they got really upset but they were actually fine when we did the po- the politics episodes so, and this is very much Bajoran politics. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's because at the end of season one, Michael Pillar directed the writing staff to concentrate on the show's uniqueness for season two and to let go of the links to the universe of the next generation. I, so, I mean, yeah, this is basically we're basically celebrating the 30th anniversary of Star Trek Deep Space Nine becoming Batman. <laughs> like yeah. putting on the cowl, fully becoming—it's what it's—it's its destiny, and realizing like I am the knight. I am the the procedural liberal democracy building. You know, <laughs> like I am the thing that's more concerned with high-minded, real-world polit- uh, political one-to-ones comparisons, and not just like what's going on in in Riker's sex life or something, um, which is I think is very entertaining. But but it also is just a different story. All right. So the Franklin Langella thing talk about now or save it for a little bit later.
0: Uh, we can talk about it now because I don't have anything later.
1: All right. So like, he's uh, internet, uncredited. He he just he didn't do it for he's uncredited. Yeah, he just did it because his kids like Star Trek. Oh, yeah. So he just he didn't want to make a big fuss. <laughs> Vinric Kolb said he didn't even want it his last shot announced. He just disappeared into the. He just <laughs> went away, <laughs> which I can respect. Uh, we should probably mention that Frank Langella has been fired from his most recent job, The Fall of the House of Usher. That's going to be on Netflix. Uh, that's shooting right now. I Eighty-five years old, uh, accused of sexual harassment, and after an investigation, he was he was terminated from the job. So that's the end of his. I guess you could say storied career. He's one of three Academy Award. Uh, nominated actors to appear uh, in star trek all along do you know the other two
0: well whoopi goldberg oscar winner yeah uh are we talking about wait, are we also talking about the the new films
1: uh, no that benedict cumberbatch that would be another yeah. one f murray abraham
0: uh-huh another oscar winner
1: was Louise Fletcher also Oscar nominated? She won, I believe. She won. So then so four. So there you go. And um and they will they will play together and they will have scenes together in the next episode. So
0: And and back to the sexual harassment thing, I mean, I don't think I've ever like even considered sexually harassing somebody, let alone in the workplace. And I'm wondering like where that comes from. Like why do that? Like, I've never had the inclination. And I'm just like, why are you going to grab somebody or, you know.
1: Or say something. I
0: mean, I think it's just when you're
1: acting, you get in this weird zone or space. And I don't know, people think it's flirtier or like it's not necessarily or strictly a workplace in the way that people conceive of workplaces. Mm -hmm. And so I think they think that it's fun to be. Childish or silly, or push boundaries or act on impulses is probably the better thing because you're, is probably a more obvious reason because you're trying to access emotions constantly. So you're in that state. So you're like, well, I'm not going to shut anything down because I need to be open to the emotional experience. And uh, that not as like a rationale for the harassment. I'm just saying like the where they're coming from is like what uh-huh. leads to that. Their character is what leads them to the behavior but what why that would even come up on sets and stuff i think it's just like there is a vibe and some people cross lines because they're in the vibe and they think it's okay which
0: it's not yeah that so. sounds like stupid but um like for that well acting
1: is very silly but yes it is yeah, stupid do you think it's for them. just
0: like <laughs> a it's like a personality type that is drawn to the work and therefore you know you just get all these people who just want to you know grab and make nasty comments to people i don't know
1: i think that's got to be some part Lack of, of it professionalism
0: I mean, maybe never yeah, having had a real weird. job probably <laughs> that's probably he's
1: it. he's had a very successful career as an actor so that gets in a very strange place but like
0: uh, a, like you know never had to i mean all a lot of, all of them go oh i waited tables that's not i mean that is a real job but like it wasn't for you that was just like a thing to do until you got, you know, your dream job. Okay. So like, I'm just saying you probably didn't take it that seriously. I mean, like, have you ever like most of them haven't other than like the ones who really did do the series work. I mean, day in, day out, like getting up and getting into an office or whatever every day with no break. Like, I feel like there's something to be said about having to do that and being like, wow, that's like really bizarre behavior. (laughs) I'm probably wrong though, because people in corporate America do that too. But like, not—I feel like not to the extent. Like, these this day and age, they have to be more careful. I feel that's a
1: good point though. It's like this is harassment is not unique to sets. You know, it's like this is a thing that happens, and you know, who who's to say. but, you know, I guess the creepy vibes, maybe that's what I'm picking up on from him and all of his performances. Well, apparently no you were correct to uh,
0: <laughs> mistrust him this entire time. So. 12
1: year old me being like, oh, yeah, so like, uh, like he's up to gym. something.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving me the willies. <laughs> One
1: last bit here. Um, the scene's in the labor camp on Cardassia 4, which is where they rescued Leenol from. They were shot in Soledad Canyon, north of Los Angeles.
0: I was wondering where that was, and I was wondering if it was the quarry next to the Warner Brothers lot. Oh, it's not. Apparently.
1: Um, so, yeah. And so it, it's apparently a really nasty spot, but it looks great. <laughs> like it, But apparently the not visitor in Kalmini, she says... Calm and I were so were sick to our stomachs. We were seriously wondering if we were going into heat frustration. It was the perfect Cardassia for because it was like hell. But they love the look of the canyon, the producers, and I think it does look great in the episode. So they go back to it a couple of times. Later on, and it only gets hotter and worse. There's when we get to those episodes, uh, like people <laughs> are like, no. out. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think a PA like lost a walkie-talkie in the water, and like that walkie-talkie is gone. You know, stuff's melting because it's just so hot. But yeah, uh, it's a really cool looking canyon. Um, This is my, uh, you know, what I said that, but I have to also mention my last feeling about an actor. So Lee Nallis, who's supposed to be this big hero, I didn't realize this until right before we hit recording. That was Tony from the original West Side Story. Richard Beymer, the guy who plays Lee Nolles, is Tony from West Side Story. The, the stage Robert production? We- no, the Bob Weiss. Movie. Oh, the film. Yeah, the film.
0: Oh, that's what he was up to.
1: <laughs> I guess so.
0: That's but like the I have one one, to- no one like the one cast member like no one ever talked to again really.
1: Yeah, I have to say this though. <laughs> They needed a better performer for this because I you know, really feel he like it's
0: not considered the best performer in, in West side story. I think, no, but, all, I think that's well known.
1: I understand the idea that like this person it, who's a hero actually has no charisma, but the monotony of his voice, it just like the, the quietness it's like, it, I think it really works against the episode having a lot of energy, like a lot of the energy Is going to come from the rescue, which we're going to talk about now in the great scenes. (laughs) Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. 45 minutes in, and let's get into it. But uh, while you go first, Kristen, what was your first great scene?
0: Great scenes. Okay. So Quark going into Kira's quarters to deliver the earring.
1: Yeah. So Armin Shimmerman, TV guide cover boy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) gets a lot to do in this teaser. He yeah, has, uh, he confuses Odo with the uh, 76th rule of acquisition. Every mm-hmm. once in a while declare peace, it confuses your enemies. And then he goes in there. Anyway, keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um there's a nice exchange like she's been I guess praying to an altar or something. Is that what we're going? Her, yeah, talking Talking to the prophet, whatever. Yep. Praying to the prophets. Um, And he walks in there and is like basically like, "Oh, I've always wanted to see your quarters" and like he tries to get into her bedroom. And she th- then threatens to kill her, kill him. But I have, I have that in best lines later. But, um, and he's like, oh, is this valuable? And she's like, how'd you get that? And then we learn it is valuable, quite valuable.
1: Yep. Lee Nolus's earring has been brought to Quark. Um, yeah, I like both those scenes. It, it turns out I actually like Quark a lot now, now that I'm older. So, <laughs> I think I really just like seeing, I liked Quark fine before, but I think I really just like seeing Armin Shimmerman play him. Uh, I mean, I, I look at his performance and he never stops acting. He is constantly no. reacting and being present in the moment. He, every line delivery is like considered, but not forced. Uh, you know, like he's very much always in character and he's, I <laughs> guess with that makeup, you kind of have to be right. Like,
0: mm-hmm. the, it's like you got to commit fully. And I otherwise. think the clothes also like make you probably made him stand a certain way. And Dictated yeah. his movements as well, and also. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go and ahead. I was going to do a different. Oh, Cisco and Jake talking about dating. Yeah, that's what I had next. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and Cisco saying, "You are not taking that girl on the Hollow Suites."
1: <laughs> Jake's like, "What? Thirteen, 14 Is like, "I'm going to take my fir- yeah. go on my
0: first date in the Hollow Suite." <laughs> Which sounds very cool for a fourteen year old, but for a parent. When yes. you know what really yeah. goes on there, yeah. But the first
1: time we <laughs> meet Jake, he's fishing on the holodeck, right? So mm-hmm. maybe in his mind, he's like, "Well, I'll take her yeah. to the fishing program." And and <laughs> Cisco's like, "What? One of the quietest, nicest programs? No, you're not doing that." Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but he before that, we're going to be doing the baseball episode. Of Deep Space Nine, take me out to the hall suite in a few weeks. Uh, but he mentions he, you know. He asked Jake, like, oh, if you figure out how to hit Bob Gibson's fastball, I just think that's another cool part of being able to do the hall suite is is doing that's these reenactments.
0: Cool. Yeah, like th- these are things we didn't even think about. Like, yeah. oh, we can actually play in a baseball game that yep. happened in real life. We were just like, oh, you can have orgies. <laughs> so it's just a lack of imagination on our part, <laughs> I guess. Right.
1: Or but just the get, indicative of where weird, we are.
0: <laughs> the weird sex stuff. Then you could be like, I've always wanted to play for the Yankees or whatever. Now, that's not my dream, but that (laughs) might be some people's dream. Sure.
1: (laughs) I really like Sirik Lofton's performance in that scene and Avery Brooks playing off of him. He really seemed like he enjoyed being his father. So that was nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I wonder, (laughs) but also that that scene has like a great moment where where Kira interrupts, and then Jake's like, "I can see you're not ready to have this conversation." Yeah, <laughs> Captain Cisco or Commander Cisco's like, "I'm not ready." <laughs> it, was, it was a great little, yeah, too- little I like moment for the kid.
0: Still in the future, we're still worried about our 14 year olds having sex too early. It's great.
1: Yeah. Also, also, I thought the girl's name was uh, Layla, but it's Layra. Because I was going to ask you, like, have you ever met an unattractive Layla? And I and I was going to say... I don't think
0: I've met any Laylas, to be I honest. I see.
1: I was going to say, like, there are certain names where it's like Layla, Nadia. There's like a spectrum yeah. of, like, names where it's just like, that's not attached to an unattractive person. Mm-hmm. So that, Maybe that's is the Bajoran version. I'm not sure. So I if uh, There's like a,
0: uh, <laughs> a name that's only attached to ugly people. <laughs>
1: maybe. I feel like I feel like uh, that's meaner to think about, but but it's possible. Yeah. But I was also I'm also thinking like, were were there hot Gertrudes back in the back in the day? There,
0: ha- there had to be, right?
1: Yeah. Statistically, there must have been.
0: It was a it was a popular name for quite some time.
1: Yeah. Gertie. Gertie can get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Gertie. So- all the men, all the boys are chasing Gertie around. <laughs> In, Cisco. I, in 1896 whatever. that's right That's right. <laughs> she
1: could churn a mean butter that's right oh yeah uh, next great scene I had was Cisco asked Dax for advice uh, mm-hmm. but I, I love at first she thinks like do you want to talk about baseball some more because he's Hell tossing yeah. the baseball around he's like what you don't want to talk about baseball she's I thought you enjoyed talking about baseball but instead it turns into a conversation about well if I help Kira by loaning her a runabout to go follow up on this lead about the earring this could cause a problem like bajor doesn't want to get like actually follow up on this lead because they are worried it might create a conflict with cardassians and cisco kind of shares that thought but uh but i guess with the federation intervening they're kind of maybe less worried about creating like a war but it will create a political problem and then Uh dax just has the salient point of like well, what are the Cardassians going to say? They promised they returned all the prisoners and now they have what we find some. So, um, I thought it was a nice, nice scene between the two of them. A nice contrast, Terry Farrell, season two versus season one, when she's just learning how to act like for the very first time, because she's, she had never really acted before. Uh, mm-hmm. so nice to see her being a little more comfortable there and their dynamic. That was nice. Do you have any more great scenes?
0: Um, I think when, uh, then like the next scene, I think is O'Brien being like, "Oh yeah, what about the runabout?" And then Cisco being like, "Who the hell hasn't she told?" Like Kira just going <laughs> around be like, "I needed, I need this," and then he won't give it to me. Just to like <laughs> sow the seed is is great. And it's very yeah. Kira too. Like, yeah. And um, after that though, I have Kira being the honeypot at the prison <laughs> camp. Yeah, that's right. Classic <laughs> honeypot. Got fooled him. It, it, it works every time, apparently. I mean, it's straight out of Hogan's Heroes, really. Yep.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> uh, Cardassian Colonel guard. Karnik? The Cardassian guard is uh, played by the actor John Fleck, who is the lead Suliban in Enterprise. Oh. So, you know, just to point that out, and for some reason he's uncredited. So he he mm. elevated himself to the stature of Frank Langella, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah the 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 sex worker the honeypot thing that was that was great but also they're shooting on location also just like wow they're outside that's a that's a real place that they're stepping around on i thought the phaser fight was good the the whole i thought the whole sequence that rescue that there's uh, they're all wanting to get lee off the planet they're willing to stay behind and sacrifice themselves uh-huh. so that the runabout can get away i love all that thought that was great a lot of that sequence is what wound up being the trailer for the episode. I remember very clearly, like literally that's the whole trailer <laughs> as a kid. Was I remember. The best part. Yeah. Cause I remember O'Brien saying like, if we don't leave now major, we never will. Uh, yeah. It is the best part. That's probably, that's probably a first thing. So I do have two more great scenes though. Do you have any more?
0: No. Okay. Quark is
1: attacked by the circle. So this is the other yeah. storyline. Oh Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's starts with he and Rom splitting up the earnings at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. bars of gold press latinum six for you, one for me, Rom complains it becomes seven for one for you, seven for me. Yeah. And then he gets attacked attacked. And of course, Armin Schimmerman's scream is, is pretty chilling and it's pretty intense. And he gets branded with circles, uh, branding on his, on his lobe, um, or on his forehead rather. And then I actually, even though he was putting me to sleep, Richard Bamer, um, Lee Nallis, when he's telling the story, I still did put the scene in where he confesses to Cisco. the The legend is just that a legend. It's a BS yeah, story. Yeah,
0: I thought that was a good scene. I mean, not necessarily because of him, but you know, it was you know, shed some light on the um, why he's so reluctant and trying to literally run away forever.
1: And it's a weird. It's a weird story in that it shows what Deep Space Line is about. Like Cisco is not the hero of the story, but they are still remembering. Like, well, it has to somehow be facilitated the, the turn of the story by our lead character, our commander. Um, and I like you know Cisco's gentle pushing. I thought really worked in that scene too. But yeah, he's it's he's so quiet. He's so, he's so mm-hmm. not interested in being the guy that it's almost like the actor's not interested in being the character. And it's really a yeah. bummer. So. All right. Best Trek tropes. The Ferengi rules of acquisition. Hopefully mm-hmm. this will be a, a recurring DS9 best trope. Rule 76. Every once in a while, declare peace. It confuses the hell out of your enemies. So just him getting, uh, you know, confusing Odo for why Odo would ever help him out. But I love that he just plays into it more I'm like you me we're gonna be friends now from now on yeah. <laughs> no,
0: this just is so the annoying. start of a beautiful friendship <laughs> that's right to, to just touch on our last episode um yeah i put odo and quark i also put I, hot I like alien lady just in a cat suit Kork. oh yeah. yeah that's good hot lady in a cat suit alien lady um baseball
1: baseball good
0: landing good. on a remote planet but not Bronson Canyon this time. <laughs> Different Canyon. And then bad guys getting shot at a high position and like falling backwards. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the the bad guys are like up on the rocks and they're shooting down.
1: And then they like they're yeah, it's and like then, you, they, then they, they like just a little freight, yeah. little
0: phaser goes boop. Yep. And then they uh, they fall yep. backward like they're yeah, great, love it.
1: I actually also love the ones where they get shot and hit in the shoulder and they do that big dramatic jump back yeah
0: (laughs) those are good too like that's great acting because they can't even see the there's nothing coming at them there's like oh pretend it hits you here and like
1: and fall yeah exactly what about disguising uh, the ship's warp signature to look like a different type of ship Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Uh, uh, let's see any others? Uh, no. Okay. Worst Trek tropes. Uh, O'Brien messaged, interrupting Kira and Cisco's conversation after Kira had interrupted Cisco and Jake's conversation. And he says, you better come see this. Just that Trek trope of like, just tell me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I need to go to the next scene. So I'm going to announce over the comm that you need to come to this n- new scene. So <laughs> that's one. Yeah.
0: And like, now that we live, live in a world where we have the technology to like very quickly communicate with people, even on video screen, nobody, you know, in a workplace is going to go, well, you better come see this. Yeah. When it just like, tell me what it is
1: now in this particular case. Cause what O'Brien's doing is he's calling him to come down to this habitat level and see the circles graffiti on the station. There is an element of like, well, over an open channel, I don't want to indicate some sort of really uh potentially disastrous security situation you mm-hmm. know co- that has a cultural relevance all that stuff i can understand that but still it's like eh like it's <laughs> so leading so generically leading that it's like <laughs> uh like the yeah. space
0: station is so large like how long would it take him to get there that's a good point too <laughs> like all right and then comes over it's like did i really need to see this in person <laughs>
1: i mean if it was odo calling him it would have been like commander please come here and he's like what is it odo and he's like uh i wouldn't be calling you if it wasn't important like that might have mm-hmm. i don't know
0: anyway uh any other for you um yeah so i put just leave um when they're on the planet Lee is like we can't we can't leave anyone behind but like they definitely should and leave them behind that's yeah and they need to leave just leave and then finally kira's like yeah we gotta go
1: it all but- works out, of course, because they all got stunned instead and returned. in In our one mm-hmm. first, our one scene of Golduca in this episode, and I'm sure he'll come back into this. But um, yeah, that's true. Uh, major Kira is a major in the Bajoran militia, and sh- so she should know that the imperative is the mission um, mm-hmm. is rescuing him. Ultimately, that's a good point. I have tech inconsistency, so I mean, this is all for dramatic purposes. But O'Brien says that they can only beam two at a time because they've only mm-hmm. got two transporter pads in the runabout. I think that's a bad design for the runabout. The runabout should be able to handle as many people as are you know slated to be able to hold capacity. You know, it's like four chairs right when you walk in. No, there's six chairs right when you walk in. So wouldn't that suppose it could beam six at a time? Like anyway, and then number two. Chief O'Brien is supposed to be one of the greatest transporter technicians ever, and he can't mm. figure out a
0: secondary solution like no, a we like must a site to... on <laughs> yeah. a hostile planet,
1: like a site to site transporter, which a uh, beam which they do they do every once in a while, where they can or like just how beam... quickly
0: can you do it?
1: Well, that's one I mean, Well, that's I... the thing. It's like he... I think it was maybe just that they restricted it to two because there's clearly. Uh, what a dozen maybe more yeah uh people there that they should have just said the numbers like it's too many to beam in one batch would have made sense Mm -hmm. anyway (laughs) and then most of the scenes being 80 yard i i not quite all of them but quite a lot of them enough where it's like uh, we're still doing this (laughs) (laughs) it, it gets distracting but anyway most of its time quality so i have imperialism i guess is what i wrote it down as mm-hmm. but when they see the the graffiti um o'brien has this weird line where he goes the circle huh what gives them the right to mess up our station your station yeah starfleet is there at the invitation of the bajoran provisional government and i understand chief o'brien having crawled all around it to fix it up and repair it would take it personally. And I, and actually, I do think the idea of like the people on the station, the Federation people and the Bajoran people have formed their own community. I get all that. But at the same time, he's like, he says that maybe it's just coming out of O'Brien's mouth. It's like, I don't know, buddy. I don't know if you're even really supposed to be. Here. Yeah, well, I,
0: I find it a very interesting choice that you had. They had the Irish character. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true Being the one oh, who's like the, who's
0: being the bootlicker when you're talking like around that same time you had you know irish independence and reunification movements and everything and it seems kind of weird um but yeah because the parallels between the circle and the ira or like even like um hamas and those types of groups are things like the at one point, Cisco says, "Well, they the circle fills the void that the government leaves, uh, leaves, and that's kind of how that was in the well, from the nineteen what fifties through, or sixties or whatever through um, the mid nineteen nineties of like paramilitary groups, in Northern yeah. Ireland and stuff." So, like,
1: it's a Kira little it's a, it's interesting.
0: It's an interesting choice.
1: Yeah, Kira awesome. even says the truth is the circle is more organized than the government. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. He also says later, I mean he kind of Cardassian splains to Kira when when Cisco says that O'Brien has to go with you because he's a better pilot. Like, I wasn't I had no problem with O'Brien being the Starfleet officer going with the Starfleet property to rescue this Bajora national. It's fine with me, but it's just the fact that O'Brien then chimes in with like, besides I've seen how the Cardassians treat their prisoners. No one should have to suffer like that. I'm like, you're telling major Kira Norris who yeah. fought in the resistance. It was in the camps. And like, I don't know that's for the audience, but it just I don't know if you've like, uh, <laughs> heard
0: of these guys, Kira, <laughs> yeah. but they're bad news. These are some nasty customers. <laughs> yeah, these are some tough customers. <laughs> so uh i'll do all i can yeah you know. uh any other most of his time these guys are real jerks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i put just the the stateroom decor in Lee Nullis's, uh quarters
1: mm-hmm. and
0: kira's prisoner slash rescue outfit slash honeypot outfit i mean the 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 macrame vest <laughs> in particular is, is an interesting addition <laughs> like I have to play the honeypot how do I sex this up and like she unbuttons the top of her button all the way that's right. buttoned all the way to the throat already like
1: is that that's a real uh, is that sex lemon moment for Star Trek there
0: yeah, right? <laughs> the top that button that's the way I do it yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Yeah! Great lines. I have just one. Lee says, <laughs> "This morning I was a slave, tonight I am a hero." Yeah. I could have put um, the rule the rule of acquisition, but I already said it. So. Yeah.
0: Um so when Cork is in Kira's quarters, she says, "If you take one more step in here, I, it'll be your last." And then Cork says, "It would be worth it." <laughs> could be worth it. Sorry. It could be worth it. Um, He does a better line delivery, obviously, as a professional actor. Um, (laughs) And then I also put you're too young to take a girl to the hollow suite. But uh, that's about it.
1: I really think that the episode by and large is is well written. It's it's pretty sharp. It is weird what it's more interested in. And. There's not a lot like each scene doesn't have a lot in it. We've talked about this in other episodes of like Next Generation where it's like there's like six scenes in this whole episode. (laughs) It's like there's a a lot happens in the scenes, like a lot of turns. And but it's like kind of overall, it's not really interested in, in telling a lot of story. It's about telling a very specific story, kind of not at a leisurely pace, but in a very as few steps as possible. It's maybe the best way to say it. Um, Kind of a weird way to think of a season premiere, but I think the fact that they were advertising, like this is the setup of a three-parter was kind of the hook to kind of keep you going. Like, well, where is this going? And it really is setting up all that stuff. What I really liked though, is it didn't feel like a lot of the scenes were totally setting, just set up scenes. Like even the circle stuff gets paid off in the episode where Jake's date cancels on him because her dad says, that yeah. you know you're you didn't vote for trump so you or he didn't vote for trump so you can't go with him or whatever she, whatever. Says, Sorry. I'm, she
0: says i'm protestant and i can't yeah, that's right that's right can't be so a protestant dad
1: so it, it sets things up but it also does remember at all times that you're playing something dramatically and you're trying to show and i mean that's just quality writing it's it's so, smart solid adult writing is it entertaining and and marryable marriage material? We'll find out in a second. Hmm. Um, the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance.
0: I don't have anything. I i, I think there's some good performances, but um, I don't know. This is always the hard one for me. That's why I gave it to Armin Shimmerman as Quark. Okay, yeah. The, I was like, he's not even in it very much, but. Yeah, he's in like the first. Very memorable.
1: Yeah. Uh, and at the end, when Bashir fixes his, you know, gets yeah, rid of the... Yeah, he's so
0: concerned about the the brand on his skin. Yeah, and then, then he, he asks
1: Kira how he looks, and she goes, as handsome as ever, which is, you know, rude. But <laughs> she's like, "Frankie, you're ugly. But I love yeah. that he just takes it, and he smiles, and he's like, yeah, I'm a good-looking man. Yeah. <laughs> Shimmerman is like like one of those when you listen to him speak too. he's like one of those serious actor people like very committed like the work and the craft but not but what am I trying to say but like in a he's like a like a good guy you know what I mean like he's like I'm here to work with all of you and we're here to do this job so he gets cranky when it's like he's like Bill Macy do you remember that thing when william h macy was like lindsey Lohan was late all the time that's the worst mm-hmm. thing you can do as an actor and it's yeah. just like the, those types of things so it it's like he's old, yeah very unprofessional but um so i don't know uh, armin shimmerman coming to play and and basically being flawless in every scene as quark is i think worthy of the yeah. performance there the shatner this was trickier for me and i picked call as chief o'brien Ooh. Okay. Well, I mean, he had to really go for it when, uh-huh. he, when he was playing the pimp. And then there's that moment um, after Kira's been telling everybody, he's not going to give me a runabout <laughs> or tell Cisco to give me a runabout. Uh, and, and Cisco asks him, like, well, what could you do to like hide the runabout to not make it look like a runabout? And O'Brien lays out this whole plan. And Cisco goes, yeah, seems like you've been thinking about this. And then O'Brien is just for some reason trying to play it off like he hadn't, he just thought of it. Not that Kira had come to him earlier to talk about this. He goes, he did. He has that weird smile, and he goes, "I suppose I have." And he like folds his arms, so or crosses his hands. So I'm like, I think that's um... he doesn't suspect a thing. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I'm giving it to him for really going. Hold him again.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) And you know, Franklin Langella and um, and Richard Bamer. Richard Bamer seems like he's like under He's it seems like he's giving it his all but he's throwing like He's 84 not miles he's an not hour. he's not
0: going for no, it. See
1: it, it feels like he's giving the best he can but his fastballs like 84 miles an hour whereas it feels like <laughs> Frank Langella is like I'm going to underplay this or I'm going to be very reserved and he's very quiet which is how you know he's evil but it's like that, that they seem to be but they still bring the same energy on the screen it was weird could this episode have been hornier and would have that uh, well, have made the episode... Well, what part of this
0: are they teaching oh, at Starfleet Academy?
1: Hmm. Probably how to... Uh, <laughs> how to disguise how to, a runabout. Yep, how to how disguise to the power signatures. That'd be a cool test, though, to like try to yeah. trick your classmates or the simulator or something. That'd be kind of cool. Could this episode have been hornier and would that have made the episode better?
0: Well, when Lean Ollis was telling his little story... About I saw a Cardassian in his underwear. I was like, go on. But it was it didn't lead to anything, unfortunately. He just shot him. So
1: once again,
0: homeroticism stamped out completely on.
1: Today, if you'd done this, they'd probably would have made the other prisoner who like got the ring smuggled or the earring smuggled off the planet. Maybe they would have had a thing, and then that guy would have like sacrificed themselves so that they got away they probably yeah done that. um i mean but is that because is that hornier that's not hornier that's just f- more
0: affection and mm-hmm.
1: um i'm just trying to think where could it have been hornier
0: uh well they could have gone deeper with the honeypot situation i
1: guess so yeah i guess so that that's the one area so it, i guess uh, we're talking about I mean, this very made dry it better subject. no
0: yeah <laughs> i don't think it would actually made it better
1: yeah the premise of the episode is like we need to get this guy to bring together mm-hmm. the the quickly deteriorating situation in the
0: yeah uh, it's provisional no time government. for horniness here yeah
1: there's no time. but the fact that it even has the honeypot scene in there is like that's you know that that's as good as we could get that's probably you know you would expect a honeypot scene in an episode about uh provisional government collapse
0: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs>
1: mixed with some Bajoran nationalism for sure Uh, alright well so then that leads us into Trek, Marry, or Kill The Homecoming Part 1
0: I think I'm just going to give it a Trek
1: Yeah, I'm going to give it a Trek as well I mean season season premieres generally are not awful Uh, this one is trying to do something specific which is forge its own path but also set up this three parter I also really like how everyone's in their summer looks. You know, the, the back mm. of hiatus, they're thinner, you know, Tanner, Kalmini as O'Brien has that haircut. You know, it's like mm. everyone, everyone looks good. Um, and it does have the exciting sequence. I think the camp breakout is pretty exciting. So at least half the episode is, is very compelling and entertaining. And the second half is interesting, probably more than it is entertaining. Um, so I'll give it a soft trek as well. All right. Next week, though, we're going to go with part two, The Circle. So we're going to deal with that. It's going to be all about Jake Sisko being, having his date canceled.
0: <laughs> it's Aww. going to be
1: say anything. But with the, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Major Kira has been relieved of her assignment as the Bajoran liaison officer uh, to Deep Space Nine. So she's going to return to Bajor. Lee Nullis is going to be on the station as Cisco's number two. We'll see what's going on there. Obviously that's, there's a reason for that. Uh, Jero Iso, uh, Franklin jealous character probably doesn't want this war hero getting in the way of his political aspirations, So he's like, Let's yeah, I kind of picked
0: up on that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we could have talked all about the politics and all that and politicians, but there's yeah. so much, so much maybe next week, who knows? But anyway, um, If you're liking our show, consider rating us and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, giving us five stars there or on Spotify, which you can do right there in your Spotify app or anywhere where you listen to podcasts. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at TrekMaryKPod, And we have all of our standings for Trek's Marys and Kills for all the different shows at TrekMaryKillPod.com. So until next week, when we continue this three-parter, TMK out. Bye.